This Westwards mini masterclass is a production of Westwards, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. For more information on Westwards and what we do, please go to westwards.com.au. Hello and welcome to today's mini masterclass with me, James Roy. Uh, today I'm talking to Nardine. Now, Nardine is a hip-hop artist, a singer, a poet. She was born into an Egyptian family and was raised in Sydney's West. Uh, she began getting involved in music at the age of 22. And she grew up in a culture that, as she says, did not support the notion of a woman becoming a musician, let alone a genre-bending, thought-provoking, ass-shaking contemporary hip-hop artist. Did you write this? <laughs> she was forced to overcome some serious obstacles in her journey. And uh, you've now entrenched yourself in the Australian hip-hop scene, Nardine. I'm actually reading this bio from the Triple J Unearthed website, which is pretty impressive. You've got a second EP has come out not that long ago. And uh, we're here today to talk to you about hip-hop. How are you, Nardine? I'm doing great. How are you? Look, I'm all right. Hip-hop. Not something that I've really explored a lot of. Um, tell us a little bit about hip hop, and um, let, how about we have a little potted history of hip hop? What's what's the go there? Well, hip hop, it essentially one of my favorite quotes of, about hip hop, and I guess storytelling has always been like this. It's been a way for the people who are telling the stories to take the narrative back into their own hands. But there's this Chuck D quote. Um, from Public Enemy says, uh, we use hip hop as our CNN. So hip hop was born in the Bronx in New York um, and it was African-Americans taking back their, their narrative, their ability to tell stories. It was them telling the story from their perspective. And yeah, I mean, I could get into the history of how the DJ started and then they'd have the MC like rapping over the breakbeat of songs. Um, but since then it's now the, like it's, it's pop now, essentially. Hip-hop is pop now. There is, um, there's so much of it in the world and it's travelled the globe and it's like one of the most like culturally significant movements of our time. Why do you think that is? Ooh, that's a really interesting question. I think that humans have a, um, we are naturally drawn to honesty and realness, whatever realness means, but I think like, the truest types of arts are the ones that like, you're just like, that's real. I can feel that you're telling your truth and that you're sharing your story. And so we're drawn to things that we can feel like are real. And we're also drawn to things that are new and novel. And hip hop was really us hearing stories that we'd never heard before. So we were all, you know, everyone was like, whoa, this is interesting. I haven't heard this kind of story before. So that's probably why it spread so far, I guess. I guess it's, um, as you say, it's after starting out with the African-American Bronx scene, it's now moved into pretty much every, every culture around the world, hasn't it? Everywhere. Yeah, there's a really good book on that actually called The Tanning of America by Steve Stout. And he talks about, yeah, like how hip hop, he talks about being in Paris um, and seeing a jewellery shop called Bling, you know, <laughs> Right. Which is like a hip hop term, yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, it's found its way into gaming and all sorts of things because it is such a such an iconic kind of pop cultural reference, isn't it? Um, yeah. What drew you to it originally? I mean, you, obviously, you're 
was it just something that you heard and liked the sound of or was it something more political? What was it that drew you to hip hop originally? So the first memory I have of really, um, I have two memories where they're like on different. So the first time I remember, and I only really recently remembered this actually, but I would have been in high school, maybe like, or maybe even primary school, like year six or seven young. And I remember, um, Jay, you know, uh, Jay-Z and Linkin Park made that uh, collab album and the Numb slash Encore track. I remember like memorizing Jay-Z's verse and like wanting to perform it to my brother's friends and stuff. Like, but obviously not real. Like, you know, when you're that young, you don't think I love hip hop. I'm going to be a rapper. Like, I just really love this verse and I try and rap it. So that's the first memory I have. And then I have another memory when I was 18 and hearing Tupac song by Tupac called Never Had a Friend Like Me and just really falling in love with it but again because of the culture I grew up in it's not something that I ever I didn't realize that you could write music essentially that you could like like write a song or do that for a living or rap you know so I loved I loved the music but I I didn't have it wasn't modeled to me by anyone that you could do it that I could do it myself um and then I found what happened? I started dating a rapper, actually, when I was at, I was working at G-Star when I was, yeah, 21 or something. And he rapped, you know? And so I saw someone like really close to me writing music for the first time in my life, essentially. Um, and that kind of led me to be, you know, to, it just opened my awareness. It was like, oh, you can just like write songs. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, that's how I, that's how I started. But then, so it was like, I was interested in hip hop first. And then I got a really good piece of advice from um, the first woman I ever saw rapping, who was Mira. Um, and she said to me, if you want to rap well, write poems and perform them as spoken word night, because it will teach you to mean what you say and to learn how to express the words, like to actually say what you're saying. And so, yeah, and then that's how I got into poetry. So it started like hip hop and then poetry and then back back to hip hop, you know? Is um is the freestyling thing something you do where you just have the beat and then you start just going off the top of your head? Is that something you've done? Sometimes, like I can sometimes, but it's not, it's something that takes practice and I wouldn't, I haven't practiced that in a while. So I would... Like I've been singing a lot more lately, actually, like even more than I've been, I still rap and I think I'll always rap. Um, but yeah, if you told me to freestyle right now, I would say no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do that to you. Um, can it, do, you think any, do you think anyone can do it? I mean, I, I remember that the whitest of all the white people, Ed Sheeran, um, he says on one of his songs, I'm not a rapper, I'm a singer. And then he proceeds to rap and he probably shouldn't. Yeah. Um, is it, is it something anyone can do, do you think? Like, can, can an old guy like me do it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, so, I think that everyone can do anything, you know? However, there are things we are naturally inclined to. So, just like I could probably learn to draw if I wanted to, it's not immediately the first creative place I'm pulled to, you know? So, but I, I believe that if it's something you if you feel a pull towards rapping, then there's something in your spirit that wants to do it. In which case I would say, you know, go right ahead. But you just like, 
when I, you've got to be willing to be with any kind of creative activity. And I've been reading a lot of books about this lately, but with any kind of creative activity, like you have to be willing to, to like, it's a long game to get to sound the way you want to sound. It's the, or to paint the way you want to paint. It's a long game. It takes hours. So let's talk a bit then about the process that you might take to create a track. What, what comes first? Because we've talked to poets who talk about just a moment, a, a thought, a scene, a, a picture, a, yeah. a tiny detail. Um, we've just, I've just finished doing a podcast this morning with Ali Whitelock talking about um, a found poem that was take, taking Scott Morrison's own words and superimposing them against tweets from people caught in a bushfire. What's, yeah. your, pro, what's your process to, uh, to come up with a track? Because you've got a lot of elements. Here. You've yeah, got the singing, so you've, got the, you've got the music, you've got the singing, you've got the, the rapping, you've got all of those different elements involved. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different things involved. So let me like, that, and, and it's like, I always say, when people ask me this question, I say that it's kind of like a puzzle piece, except that you don't, like, you can't buy the box and put the puzzle together. It's like you might find a piece on the floor in Woolies, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and then you might find a beat and then like hidden within the beat, there's a puzzle, there's one of the pieces there, you know, you might be in the shower and then like it, a puzzle piece lands in your head. But so one thing I'll do right now, this is going to be so embarrassing, but I'm just oh, going to like, I have my phone with me and this is my, these are all my voice memos. So I'm just going to play the last thing I recorded. I don't remember what it is, but. Yeah, so that's just a random idea. Yeah, so that's it. I was in my car and I just like, I remembered like a melody just popped in my head and you know, I just like make sounds on it. Being human is hard. And like, I might never use that. You know, there's so many in there that I will probably never use, but maybe six years from now, or let's say six months, let's be like, not that, who knows if I have the same phone. Six months from now, I might be in a writing session with someone. So I might be in the studio and they'll play a beat and I've got the first verse and I'm like, oh, I wonder what the chorus is for this song. And then I'll remember this, that melody and that line. I'll be like, oh my God, this, that chorus, I wrote this chorus ages ago that would totally fit this moment. And then, you know, you, you piece it together. They're the puzzle pieces. So, but so sometimes can, as well. Yeah, sorry, I was going to say, I, I, um, I can just imagine that you might be down at the park with your, with your niece or something and, and she's trying to climb something. She goes, this is hard, this is hard. And you go, no, no, being human is hard. And then you go, well, there's, there's the connection perhaps. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> who is it that says, um, uh, I can't remember who it was. Like someone like Bukowski, maybe someone in that era of things. He says, um, good writers borrow, great writers steal. Oh, maybe it was Bob Dylan. I think it was Bob Dylan that said that. Yeah, good writers borrow, great writers steal. Yeah. So many of my favorite lines have been things that people have said just in passing, in conversation. And I'll just say, well, that's a lyric. And it could inspire a whole song. It's a very similar process then to, um, to just writing regular poetry, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, I guess in the same way that it's, it's a similar process in that it's like clay. You, ha- you have to shape the idea, you know. Um, 
I guess the only differences would be that sometimes with music and hip hop is that if I have a beat playing, I might, instead of words, I might first mouth melodies or rhythms. If I'm rapping and like the beat is going, I can just, you know, feel into the groove, be like, and then you try and find words to fit that rhythm, you know? Um, I guess that would be the only difference between writing a poem and writing a song, but then sometimes the lyrics are there first and you have to fit the lyric, you have to find a melody for the lyrics, you know? It's all, it's different every time. There's no one, I'm quote central today. I was going to say another, a Rumi quote is that there are a million ways to kneel and kiss the ground. And it's just, yeah, there's a million different ways to write a song. Sometimes I'll be writing a poem or recording a song and I'll like, do it once perfectly but I didn't record it and then I'll just never be able to get it again it's like ah it's gone it's gone (laughs) yeah I I write I write quite a few songs and my family will find me running through the house going where's my phone where's my phone I've got to put this track down and I'm singing at the top of my lungs so that nobody can distract me and take it away you kind of have those desperate moments don't you yep absolutely one time a friend uh, I had a dream where a friend of mine um And again, like I was saying with the puzzle pieces, you know, like I already had, um, so this one, one of my songs called Pyramids, I wrote a poem, like without thinking of turning it into a song, I wrote a poem. And then that poem turned into the first, I I found this beat and I was like, oh, this poem would go really well over this beat. So that poem turned into the first verse. Um, And then I wrote the second verse and I was waiting for a chorus. I I, I couldn't quite find the chorus. And then I was asleep. And I had a dream and one of my friends, Alice Knight, another amazing, um, amazing singer, songwriter in her own right. She, in the dream, we were all sitting around a fire and she had a guitar playing and she sung the chorus of the song in a, in my dream Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, where, yeah. And then I woke up and I remembered it. Like I opened my eyes and I was like, oh my goodness, that's the chorus to that song. And I grabbed my phone and I like really quickly recorded it. And then, yeah, that, that dream song turned into the chorus of that song. Did she get a writing credit on that one? She actually didn't. <laughs> She's waiting for I don't her... know if like if dreams count. <laughs> She's waiting for her APRA check and it's not coming. Yeah. I, sh- I really should have given her the three, credit. The $3 APRA check, yeah. I think my, I think my last <laughs> APRA check was $3.80 or something, so that was, that was worth the price of admission, wasn't it? <laughs> All right, so some of the people listening to this might be young people from, um, say, high school or whatever. So they come to you and they say, help me write a hip-hop song. What's, your, what's our mm-hmm. first step? First step is to pick a beat. Find a beat that you like. So you could pick, like, an old... So yeah, if you want, like one thing that I do um, when I'm just trying to write is I'll just Google and pick any artist you like. Could be, you know, Drake or Nicki Minaj or whoever it is that you like. You could say, pick a, uh, you could just search uh, Drake type beat, rough style instrumental. Like you can Google that and you'd find a beat. So I'd find a beat. That's the first thing I do. And then after that is I would, um, press play on the beat, put my phone on to record, like recording. So you want to have like two, so I'd play the beat off my computer and then hit record on my phone and I would just play around, just freestyle, just like make sounds, make rhythms, 
yeah, 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 I'm feeling cool, I'm feeling nice, yeah, everything's good, whatever, you know, without judging, let it be terrible, stream of consciousness, just get it out and do it for like two or three times over the beat, you know, play the song through two or three times and then after that I would listen back and find any bits you like. You might have, like when you listen back, you know, outside of yourself, you might find like a a moment where you said like, where you, you do a little hooky thing, you know, that sounds like it could be a chorus. You're like, oh, that's the chorus. Let's start there. Yeah. Because the chorus is usually, in, in terms of pitch and so forth, it's usually a little bit higher than your verse. Your verse is sort of steady and then your chorus usually lifts a bit, doesn't it? I would say, like, yes, that's probably true mostly as well in pop, like, pop type music or singer-songwriter stuff. I think that if it lifts, that's awesome, but I would say probably more important than it lifting, although at the end of the day, there's no rules really, but if I had to say, I'd say probably more important than it lifting would be for it to be, like, something catchy or repetitive. An earworm is ideal, isn't it? Yeah, an earworm, yeah, totally. Just something like something repetitive you know it could be like you could even sometimes in hip-hop like they'll just repeat the last line of the verse but it could be like you know you just end the end the verse on like you know something something bar 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 yeah so tell me how you feel that's the end of your verse and then you just wait a little bit and then yeah so tell me how you feel tell me how you feel and that could be your chorus you're not trying to pack too much into it then you're trying to keep some space in there aren't you again like there's no rules like you could pack it or you could keep space. It just depends on the song, the beat, what you're trying to convey. Do you have a moment sometimes where you, you hear that hook and you go, ah, oh, this is my, my um, you can't touch this moment. You know, you just imagine when MC Hammer first, somebody played da, 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 and he went, you can't touch this. And suddenly, oh my God, that's, that's going to become one of the 80s, 90s iconic rap hooks. <laughs> Do you ever have that kind of moment where you go, I mean, that could be my hook? This is the one that's going to make me wealthy beyond all imagination. <laughs> I mean, I feel like if I had that moment, it would have happened. You know, I, I'd be wealthy beyond imagination right now. But um, definitely, like, there's moments, I would say, where magic happens, where a song will come out in. So I've been talking about how, you know, a lot of the time it's pu- they're puzzle pieces. But sometimes you get lucky and a song just comes out in one go you know like sometimes you get like you just find some flow and there's um i mean elizabeth gilbert who wrote eat pray love she has a book called big magic and she talks about how ideas so she's like a book writer you know but she talks about how ideas so whether it's an idea for a song or a movie or an album or a book um she has this concept that ideas are actual things they have their own consciousness and they float around in the ether and they pick a person to come to like, because the ideas want to come into the world. They want to be birthed and they want other people to find them. So the ideas go to, to different people and they, um, they like that and they go to the person that they think is most likely to get them out, you know? So sometimes you have ideas like that where yeah, a song just comes out in one go and it's just like, this is magical. Like, Nothing Matters was like that. It just came out, you know? Nothing Matters is one of my songs. Um, okay, so you got your yeah. beat. You started to get some ideas. Do you do your own music? 
No, I, up until now I've worked with producers, but or I find these. Um, but I have started experimenting with producing. So you've got your beat, you've started to get a bit of an idea, and I, I'm interested to hear you talk about this idea of just vocalising, singing, singing gibberish. I know that um, Neil Finn from Crowded House did a similar thing, and then the other day I was watching the Taylor Swift documentary, and she does a very similar thing. She just arbitrarily uh, sings over the top of just to get the rhythms right, and I think that's a good thing for young people or anyone, in fact, to to understand that those moments that make you feel like you might be a bit cringy if anyone saw you doing it, they're actually what all the, all the good people do as well. They do these cringy moments. They sing in the shower. They sing off key until they get it right. Is, is this, how do, you, how do you push that out of your mind, though, this idea that what if someone saw me doing this now? And it comes with time and confidence. Yeah, I mean, it does come with time and confidence. I mean, interestingly enough, I feel like you kind of loop. Like, I feel like when I started I didn't care at all because I didn't have the, the technical knowledge of like I'm not in the right key or this has to this chorus has to be like this or that all the rules you know I didn't have any rules that I was abiding by and then when I started to learn the rules then I started to get a little bit more introverted and anxious and now I'm kind of circling back to just having fun and experimenting um, and not worrying about pitch or um, timing or any of those things until like creativity is you having fun and like the best things come about from mistakes you know you might make an like uh, accidentally make a mistake or you thought you like um, you thought you hit the wrong note or you thought you did it wrong but then you listen back and you're like oh that's actually a really cool thing you know so you have an idea you're being willing to play um, being willing to play listen and like when you I even do this with um, writing poetry as well or if I'm stuck on a line like I'll I'll write I'll set a timer for 10 minutes and I'll stream of consciousness and it's stream of consciousness to the point where like I'm not allowed to stop writing for 10 minutes like even if I am having even if I'm just writing blah 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 I don't know what I'm saying this is so weird I feel weird I'm just writing blah 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 like even if I just have to do that with my pen then but it's still the, the idea is to not off and it's just to get out of your own way and then I'll read it back and like 90% of it will be rubbish 95% of it will be rubbish and then I'll find like three lines that are really poetic and really beautiful and I'll just I'll, I'll use those three lines it's actually a really liberating thing to hear because I think a lot of young people who might be listening to this think that if that you have to have you have to know what you want to say before you start writing and then you and until you know exactly what it is you're going to say, there's no point putting pen to paper. But must, it's liberating to hear somebody like yourself say, no, no, just get out of your own way. Just put that stuff down. It's going to be in there somewhere. Writing, writing for the sake of writing is, is good enough. Sometimes I will do that stream of consciousness exercise and I'll start and it'll be absolute rubbish. And then by the end of it, I'm writing like things that have been buried inside me for the past three years that I haven't let out, you know, but like, you know, at the start of the writing session, I was like, I don't know what to write about. And then I get to the bottom and it's like, okay, girl, <laughs> you got some things to write about. <laughs> like, <laughs> So what's the next step then? You said you, there are a couple more steps to this process. Well, once you kind of find the, um, once you kind of, so, you know, you've, you've done your stream of consciousness writing and you found the line or you've done your gibberish singing and you found like a, a, 
a melody or a word or like you've got your like you might be the first verse of the chorus oh sorry it might be the first line of the verse or it might be three lines of the chorus and it, you'll generally have a theme by this point you know uh, but what I always do there's two things that I do whenever I write anything it's two questions that I ask myself and it helps me get really clear with my intention for the piece so the first question I always ask and this was my friend Brandon taught me this um, he said so the question I always ask is what is the soul of this piece so it's almost like what are you saying if you could put it down to, to one sentence what is this song about what is the soul of it you know and it could be it could be three words it could be a sentence um, and then the second question I always ask is who am I speaking to and I try and pick one person that I'm speaking to. So not like, you know, I'm speaking to the country of Australia, but I'm speaking to a 14-year-old boy in his room who's feeling really lost right now. Or I'm speaking to and I'm speaking to myself in the future. Or I'm speaking to my past self. Um, or I'm speaking to my best friend. Or, you know, I try and find someone that I'm speaking to to make it more direct especially when you're writing like political type stuff, it can get really preachy when you think you're speaking to the masses. So that was something that really helped me just make it more personal. That's fantastic. And, and I'm going to ask you what I ask a lot of, what I've asked all the other poets when I've chatted with them in this way. At what point do you have to let go of it and go, this isn't mine anymore. This may speak to somebody in a completely different way. I mean, Ali Whitelock was talking about the fact that uh, the poem that she wrote about the fires ended up being read, al read aloud on the B Andrew Bolt report and ridiculed. And she was kind of grateful for that because it showed how ridiculous their ridicule was. It, what, how hard is it for you to let go of it and go, somebody may hear what I've said here and completely take it the wrong way, different from the way I, I intended it to sound? I think that doing a lot of like internal work, like a lot of, meditation and personal development and all that kind of stuff outside of art has really made this a lot easier for me so I'm just like and I read so much about psychology and human nature and stuff that I understand that everyone's seeing the world through their own lens and it's never personal it's never about you even if you're in an argument with someone or like um, you know, someone being a racist or whatever it is, like it's never anything about you or your character. It's just that that person and how they see the world and their whole upbringing and their whole childhood and all of their trauma. And like that's what. So I think that I'm, yeah, I'm really okay with it. You know, like all that matters to me is that like when I'm alone, I can stare in the mirror and just say like I did my best. You know, and just to be happy with. Like I did my best, I gave it my best effort and that's all that matters. And the messages, like I rarely get any hate, you know, like I get a lot of messages from people saying this poem helped me through this thing or this song got me through this tough time or like I've been using this for this thing and you know, that just like that's, that's the icing on, that is the cake and the icing. <laughs> the cake and the icing, that might be the name of this podcast I think, the cake and the icing. The cake and the icing. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> um, yeah, because I've, I've talked quite a bit with other people on these podcasts about that intersection between the artists and the and the audience and how um, 
you know, that doesn't really, it's art, it is art to a point when it's a lot, when it's to yourself, but it's not really until you share it and have someone respond to it that becomes proper art, is it? That's a really interesting question. Um, I think, I think I disagree actually. Hmm? Cause I'm just trying to think like if I write a song, but never show anyone, like that's still a song, you know, and that's still a piece of me expressed. But I think that it just takes it to a different level when you share it with someone, you know, when you share it, like the response to it is, because art has so many different purposes as well. Like there's so many different categories of it, you know? So like at its basis, purest form, I think that art is just hum humans expressing themselves, you know? So if I write something by myself, I'm still making art because I'm still expressing myself. I wonder whether the, um, the people, the prehistoric people who painted animals on the wall of their cave, whether they were inviting their friends around to look at it and whether they, so I think I see your point. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't yeah. really for anyone else, yeah, was yeah, it? Yeah. It's a nice idea to can think about them having a, a showing, an opening of their, a cave opening, so that all their friends can come around and see their new, their new work. A gallery night, yeah. Serving bits of bison <laughs> on a, serving bits of bison on a yeah. tray. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to write a song about that. I can see it in your eyes right now. You're going, oh, there's an idea there. <laughs> Well, I'm on record. It was my idea first. Okay. Um, but we're going to wrap it up, Nadine. But um, thank you so much for having a chat with us. There's a lot more we could talk about. Do you have a website? I do have a website. It's Nardine.com. N-A-R-D-E-A-N.com. Yeah. And for anyone as well who is listening, um, you know, like I asked a lot of questions. Like I reached out to a lot of people who were better than me or just like, I mean, better is, a different like more experienced than me who'd been doing it for longer and I asked a lot of questions so if anyone is listening to this and you have any questions like send me an email send me a message on Instagram like I respond to everything and I'm more than happy to help out so yeah, that's, getting, that's, well, yeah. I think it's I think it's a very generous thing to do but I think it's also quite fair because you know we all of us who are artists and who are fortunate enough to actually make out make a living from what we do as artists if we were honest, we'd look back and see that there were people who gave us a leg up on the way. So it's very generous of you to say that. Well, absolutely. Yeah. I, I like I said, like I really had a lot of help from people um, and I reached out and I asked questions and it's like, it's helped me so much. So highly encourage anyone, like don't be shy, just, you know, come like, go get it, go after the thing if you want to do it. <laughs> no worries. Okay. Nadine, thank you so much for talking to us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, James.